Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Pony Express, but more specifically, welcome to another episode of Fortress of Neptitude, our little show within a show here where we watched the forgotten and maligned comic book movies of years past. As always, I am one of your hosts, Mike Levito, the editor-in-chief of The Post Rider, and I am joined, also as always, by Post Rider contributor Lewis Ryan. Hello, I'm Lewis Ryan, the uh, junior editor of podcasts here at The Post Rider. Just, Thanks for having me back, Mike. give yourself a title? Yeah, that's how you do it in this business. It's all about, you know, influencing and, you know, faking it till you make it. Sounds, sounds about right. So yeah, we're, we're here talking about another movie. Lewis, what movie are we going to be talking about today? Well, Mike, I decided that uh, rather than dancing around the year 2004, we'd actually jump back to an earlier decade, one of my favorite decades, the 1990s, mm. and we'd be covering a different era of comic book slash superhero movies. Today, we're going to be talking about 1995's Judge Dredd. Indeed, we are. Judge Dredd, of course, based on the, the 2080 comics character. Yeah, Mike, what was your reaction when i told you we would be doing judge dread today my reaction i think was just like oh cool i to be honest i have no i've never read a judge dread comic in my life so i don't have a lot of familiar with the character my only exposure to judge dread outside of and before watching this movie outside of you know uh odd odd clips and all that was the movie dread in 2012 which was like you know the reboot i guess of this series and, you know, I, I knew, like, the broad strokes about, like, what the judges were, what they did. I knew about the mega cities and all of that. But I really did not know much about the comic books at all. So I, I was excited to kind of dip, dip my feet into this, like I said, much maligned movie and see what it was all about. If, if it tickled my interest uh, in, in the character more. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Judge Dredd and the character. I guess you could say that the 2012 movie is what, like, got me really into it. And I started to read the comics. Um, so just to give a little history for our, our listeners who might not know a lot about Judge Dredd, Judge Dredd is a British comics character published in the weekly anthology 2000 AD. It's been published weekly since 1977. So and Judge Dredd has basically been in every issue, starting with issue number two. Yeah, he's basically like this guy. He's one of the judges. The judges are basically a catch-all in a post-apocalyptic society where society's trying to rebuild. Everyone's congregated into these megacities on uh, basically the coasts of the United States. And the police have become sort of like the overall overarching government. And the judges are basically cop, judge, juries all in one where they mete out the law as they see fit. It's one of these things that's been extremely popular in Britain. Obviously, it's ran for a really long time. Never quite broken through in the United States. Um, a lot of people say that it's probably too satirical, too much of a satirical indictment of America to ever truly succeed. British people have much more of an understanding of irony than Americans. It's never really broken through because it's too much of a parody of America, some people might say. But um, it's been published weekly. It's, it's a great comic. I highly recommend it to anyone. It's published in these great, um, complete collection volumes, so you can actually start right at Volume 1. They just did Volume 40, so you can basically, unlike Superman or Batman or any other characters, you can basically read the whole thing in these nice, handy volumes that they've printed. So yeah, I'd recommend it. I, I personally, I've read like the first 10 years of Judge Dredd, so I think I'm definitely more of an expert compared to you, Mike. I, I would say so. Yeah, I was interested to talk about this movie because I hadn't seen it before. I had heard things about it online. There's a great documentary 
that um, I recommend everyone called uh, Future Shock, the story of 2000 AD, which is about, you know, the creation of 2000 AD, the comic. And um, there's a significant portion of it talking about Judge Dredd and the Judge Dredd movie from 95. So this movie has kind of a, a troubled legacy. Obviously, it's infamous for a number of reasons. Namely, if you're a Judge Dredd purist, you would know that Judge Dredd never takes off his helmet. And one of the first things that Judge Dredd does in this movie is that he takes off his helmet and he's basically helmetless for the rest of the movie. Obviously very controversial. Yeah, this movie just sort of didn't work, which I guess is something that we'll discuss at some length today. But um, let's talk about like the 90s themselves. How does that sound, Mike? Uh, sure, you, yeah. Do you want to go back to the 90s? Let's do it. Let's go back in our... Uh... In our time machine here, we'll we'll put on some flannel. We'll we'll load a, a Nirvana CD into the stereo, and we'll go back to the decade of our births. So, like, obviously, the last two movies we covered, they're from like the mid two thousands, and this is like a full decade earlier. So, what do you think is different about uh, this era of superhero comic book movies? Well, so a big thing I think is just, and this is I think just movies in general at this period is that it, there seems like there's a lot more like practical effects and like practical sets right i think a big thing you notice in a, in a lot of superhero movies certainly now and definitely in the, in the the 2000s is just the amount of cgi they apply and that can really date some movies like uh, x2 x-men united is a movie i really enjoy but the cgi in that movie is just really not good at all it really dates it or is in this movie I, it feels like it's, it, i feel like there's more sort of like i said practical effects and i i think like some of them look a little silly i think but like on the whole, I think it looks like pretty good. You know, we could talk about what doesn't work, but but I think as far as like the production design and production value goes, I think it it holds up well enough. Yeah, no, in terms of the special effects, I would say this is uh, par excellence as far as great special effects for the time go. I, I was really impressed. I mean, I like the way that Mega City One is portrayed. Mega City One is like this big conglomerate place where it just feels like a city upon a city. Mm -hmm. And a lot of this movie, it feels like that in a way, which I guess kind of looks like maybe look visually ugly or cluttered or whatnot. But I feel like this film really captures it. And I really like films where it's like it's similar to reminds me a lot of the, like the 1989 Batman, where it's like this own like artificial world mm -hmm. where it's like um, it's like the Wizard of Oz, you know, in 1939, where it's like, you know, it's not real, but it's like they created like this whole artificial world that just feels more appealing and interesting than just like someone standing in a green screen and then they put a whole digital city behind them it's just like the fact that it's like all real or like real facts or illusions is just more interesting and appealing to me i would agree i was gonna say my original point of asking about the 90s is that basically marvel and dc sort of abdicated their responsibility to uh, make <laughs> big budget movies based on their characters because we didn't really have a whole lot mm -hmm. um Aside from Batman, who had a couple of releases, we didn't really have a whole lot from DC or Marvel. We had, like, the Captain America knockoff, I think, in, like, 1990. And there was really nothing from Marvel, I want to say, until Blade came out towards the end. And then DC, there was really nothing besides the Batman films until you get to, like, Steel. So throughout the 90s, you get, like, little sprinklings of people wanted to cash in on the success of Batman 89, Mm -hmm. but they had to you know find whatever characters they could get the rights to so you had stuff like the rocketeer dick tracy the shadow the phantom spawn like all these other things the crow things that we'll probably get to on future episodes of fortress of neptitude so i just wanted to 
quickly bring it up that um we got all these like kind of i don't know like weird but it's sort of like off the beaten path of like doing something like the big three of superman batman spider-man like the big a-listers and i feel like that's kind of something that's come back in recent years where people are like whoa i can't believe we got an ant-man movie you know we got a rocket raccoon in a movie whoa there's a black adam movie like what what is going on it's like well in the 90s you had like all these weird you know things like like i said judge dread was never like a big breakthrough hit here in america but it's like now he's like the star of a a-list motion picture you know starring sylvester stallone who's like you know still one of the most recognizable actors you know in america in terms of you know blockbusters so yeah i just thought i'd quickly bring that up set the stage for like what these forgotten 90s movies that um that came out you know and they still exist and we're gonna take a look at it i guess now we can actually start talking about the movie how does that sound mike or rather let's let's talk about the the cast mm-hmm. how does that sound sounds good yeah so let's just talk about our, our main man mr sylvester stallone how would you say sylvester stallone does playing the character of judge dread so i'm not i and i've only realized this about myself recently when i had to watch rocky for another podcast I'm not like a big Sylvester Stallone fan. I think he's a, I just this sort of neediness kind of just radiates off of him in my mind. Like he just strikes me as a guy who really, really desperately needs people to like him. And he does, he tries to do that. He tries to convey that in like a self-effacing way in a lot of his movies. And it just really puts me off a lot of the time. And I definitely got a bit of that here because we could talk about kind of like the tone and the humor later on, but it's like, it feels like he kind of tries to make this character... I, and I know Judge Dredd, there's obviously a lot of, like, satire in the comics, but, like, it feels like he just tries to make him kind of, like, straight-up comedic at points. And it does work in some instances, but in other instances, I just find it kind of... Like I said, I, I, I just found it a little charmless. Although, and, like, I also just, like... And again, I, I'm not someone who has a lot of Judge Dredd experience, but like I think of Dredd, the movie, I think of Carl Urban, he's kind of this like steely like killing machine, whereas Sylvester Stallone is just like, he's a little bit too much of like a real guy, like he's a little bit too much of a guy from like Pennsylvania, and he, like I, I don't necessarily buy him as, outside of like, you know, his physique, of course, I don't 100% buy him as like a stone cold killer like this, but... I don't know, man. That might just be me. What did you think? So Sylvester Stallone. So like when it comes to the character of Judge Dredd, I think Dredd himself is like a static character. Mm-hmm. So like he's basically like your entry into like this world and you're viewing it through his eyes. That's, I think, the secret to making Judge Dredd the comic work. Because it's like, it's not about, it's basically like a lot of people have said, it's like about kind of like a fascist government. Mm-hmm. And it's like normally in this kind of story, you'd be following like the rebels you know, trying to overtake the government, but it's like, it's just about Judge Dredd. You're seeing the world through his eyes, really. And the thing that makes Dredd work as a character is that he's, he's like the, basically like the ideal judge that you'd want. He's like incredibly focused on like the law, almost to a fault, and he executes it perfectly. So he's kind of like this straight laced, you know, cop. One of the things like you said about the 2012 film is that he's like much more of like a, a killing machine a quote-unquote badass, <laughs> if you will. When Dredd in the comics is like, he's just, you know, he's doing his job, which sometimes deals with getting into action adventure mm-hmm. and stopping crime. But this film, I feel like, like you said, it is more like he's doing like a regular guy, which I appreciate. Like the thing about the Judge Jet comics is that they're not like, a lot of academics like try to say that it's like a treatise on like fascism and democracy and whatnot. When it's like, when you actually read the comics, they're a lot more silly 
Hmm. Like there's a story where a chimpanzee that's good at picking the winning team on in sports events <laughs> ends up becoming elected the mayor of Mega City One, <laughs> and then is later assassinated. So it's like you have all these sorts of silly things that go on, and Dread himself is sort of like the, the stoic center, which I think is what keeps the the world from feeling like too ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And I think Sylvester Stallone does a good job of playing like he's a regular guy in this situation. I do think, however, at times he's a little bit too wooden mm-hmm. for his own good. I mean, I like Sylvester Stallone. I like the Rocky movies. I haven't like watched everything he's done. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if he's a good enough actor to play this character in the sense that he might be, it might be too stoic for his own good, for his talent to truly emerge. So that's how I feel. Like, I, I really like him, though. Like... To me, he's closer to the dread of the comics than Carl Urban is, if that makes any sense. I'll have to take your word for it. <laughs> so who do we have next? Should we talk about Mr. Rob Schneider, who plays the role <laughs> of Fergie? I guess we should. And I feel like this is maybe like another very 90s thing, is this idea of the sort of like a sarcastic sidekick, I feel like is a very 90s idea. Rob Schneider, I don't have like an overarching opinion of of Rob Schneider's career. I don't know that I've seen much of his work, honestly. It felt like in this movie, it almost felt like they were just letting him go out there and riff sometimes. Not that he was like going totally over the top of like improvisational comedy, but it really just felt like it's like, okay, Rob, you and Judge Dredd are on these flying bikes and you're running away from these guys and you have to convey that you're scared somehow just make up a joke now and then he's like oh you might want to clean the seat after you're done and so it just really did like his jokes really did not work for me there were moments of this movie that I did find were funny none of not many of them at least involved rob schneider yeah the rob schneider is interesting in this movie and that like i understand his role as the comic relief but i i think there's just with one exception nothing he said really i found funny mm-hmm so I was thinking, and I was like, getting towards the end, it's like, you know, if they had just made Rob Schneider's character like a woman, <laughs> like, a, like you know, a scruffy woman who's mm-hmm. like disagreeable with Judge Dredd, I think it would have been much better, mm-hmm. you know. Obviously, the big thing there is that you can't really have Judge Dredd be in like a romance, you know, you can't really do like will they or won't they tension. Well, that's like, <laughs> tell that well, to Danny Cannon. <laughs> but I, I, yeah, and it's like they have to, you know, make these things more appealing you know Mm -hmm. to the general audiences like they don't really do this nowadays right having a man team up with another man for most of the movie yeah i I guess not really i mean i feel like marvel tries to like microdose it a little bit like i'm thinking of like shang chi where uh ben kingsley's mandarin shows up and he kind of is in that role for a little bit but throughout the rest of the movie he's preceded by aquafina who i guess really has that role you know you can make an argument that like Korg in the Thor movies plays kind of that role but but yeah it's not you're not taking like the comedic actor of the moment like I maybe it would be like Pete Davidson or something and putting him in Dread 2 and having him crack jokes although he wasn't the Suicide Squad but that's kind of a different thing entirely I think Pete Davidson might be more appropriate in the Fergie role yeah I think you do a good job yeah obviously they're cashing in on um they both appeared together stallone and schneider they were in demolition man mm. previously and so this is a continuation of that uh relationship similar to when laurel was paired up with hardy <laughs> and they endured a successful comic career after that laurel and hardy meet judge dread that'd be great 
So let's talk about our bad guy, I guess, Armin DeSante as mm-hmm. Rico. Did you have any opinions on Armin DeSante, Mike? He cranks up to 11, and I actually loved it. I, he was my favorite performance in the movie. Um, really wild-eyed. He has this kind of, like, New York accent, too, that, that I felt very out of place in Mega City 1, but I, but, I, but I liked it for his character. Yeah, really over the top, but I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, he is really like over the top. And he, the weird thing is that I felt like he really looked like like a not deformed, but like kind of like a offshoot of Sylvester Stallone. Like they're both supposed to be clones. Mm-hmm. And I felt like they looked very similar. And he does sort of like crank it up to 11 and give it a lot of a he does play the villain role with a lot of relish. And uh, I'm sure I've said this before on previous podcasts, but I like when villains are evil. And this this character certainly is over the top. I don't know if he's really like he's like fun to watch i'm not sure i mean i guess like he kills people on screen but um he's definitely like a bad guy but it's like a cartoonish bad guy it's not like oh i'm scared of this guy yeah he's not he's not heath ledger's joker no he's not his, his plan is like really like simple <laughs> yeah it seems to be executed so flawlessly despite the fact that it's incredibly simple and could have been like blocked well, that was the thing. I, I we could talk about this more later. I didn't like. I kind of understood what he wanted to do. I didn't fully understand what everybody else wanted to do in this movie. But yeah, oh. it was pretty straightforward. Otherwise, <laughs> do you have anything to say about Diane Lane as Judge Hershey? Not she. You know, she she felt like she was kind of in on the joke. I think she was fine. I like Di- Diane Lane. Diane Lane, who would actually play uh, Superman's mom yes. in uh, the Man of Steel series, and um, yeah, she was she was good. Definitely. When you compare it to Dread 2012, you have the character of Judge Anderson, who is like a, a rookie that Dread mm-hmm. takes under his wing. And here they're more, Judge Hershey is more equals with Dread, And there's not like a whole lot of, you know, um, back and forth. It's re- there's not really like that much of a relationship there for the audience to get invested in like there is in Dread 2012. But, you know, she's fine. She's effective in the role. I never was like, I don't believe she is a judge. Right, yeah. Yeah, there's a couple other actors we can talk about. Uh, Max von Sydow as Chief Justice Fargo. Obviously, Max von Sydow is like the guy that always gets cast in these big budget movies to give it some semblance of artistry. Obviously, stemming from his work with Ingmar Bergman in uh, The Seventh Seal, where he famously played chess with death. I know The Seventh Seal is one of your favorite superhero <laughs> movies, right, Mike? Yeah, death and the Sandman comes later, too. Um, <laughs> Great, great adaptation of that essential Neil Gaiman work. Yeah, you know, he, he's fine. You know, he's he's magisterial. He's he's important. You know, he pulls it off. Is he better in this than he is in Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens, where he played the character of Lor Santeca right at the beginning, where he talks to Oscar Isaac? You know, that would require me to remember that role. So <laughs> I, I, th- I think it's Justice Fargo by Chief Justice Fargo by default. All right. And then... um. We've got some other cast members that I just want to quickly mention for a, for a specific reason. So, Mike, did you notice any particular, like, similarly, how do you brought up the three actors that are in Breaking Bad, The Wire, and Sopranos? Yes. there's There are three actors in here that I was able to connect to a specific collaborator. I don't know if you picked up on it when watching. Well, the one, the only one that really stood out to me was Joan Chen, who plays Josie Packard in Twin Peaks, and she plays Dr. Hayden in this movie. You're on the right track. Mm-hmm. So there's Joan Chen. There's Jurgen Pronchow, who plays Judge Griffin, Rico's uh, collaborator within the Judge Council, who plays the um, the lumberjack in Twin Peaks Firewalk With Me oh. in The Dream. 
who is, I think, implied to be uh, the Log Lady's husband who mm-hmm. died. And then there is uh, Balthazar Jetty as a Cadet Olmeyer, who was one of the two leads in Lost Highway. He's the character Bill, Par- Bill Pullman's character turns into midway through. <laughs> and he's also in Twin Peaks Season 3 as Red, I want to say, like the new drug dealer mm. in town who has like the, the magic coin trick. Yeah. So obviously Danny Cannon must be a big David Lynch fan. I guess so. That's Although in this instance, I guess Balthazar Jetty worked on this before Lost Highway, which is interesting. Yeah, I guess so. That, that is interesting that there's that that much overlap. That's that's kind of funny. Um, yeah, those uh, Balthazar Getty and, and Jurgen Proch now, those, those are two deeper cuts I, I would not have gotten if you didn't point those out. If there were a lot of people in Hollywood named Jurgen, I might right. have gotten them confused, but <laughs> Jurgen Pronchow always sticks out to me. Yeah. Yeah, so there's our cast. I would say they're fine. Um, I guess, like, I'll just, well, I guess we should just briefly say our overall thoughts. Mike, what did you think of this movie? Um, I, you know, I don't think, I would not necessarily call this, I would not try to convince somebody that this is a good movie, but I thought it was an enjoyable watch. It's campy, it's kind of silly, you know, it has its problems, but I I had, like, a good time watching it, and hey, it was only, like, 96 minutes, you really can't go wrong with that. Yeah, I was actually surprised I liked this movie as much as I did. I actually, like, really liked it. Like, similarly to you, I wouldn't say it's, like, a Citizen Kane-level masterpiece. Let's put it in the canon. But, like, I think it was, like, a solid, you know, 7 out of 10 watch. Like, it's enjoyable, good special effects. Like, I understood what was going on. You know, nothing that made me, like, angry or upset. So it's, like, it, it annoys me when I, like, look, you know, look up on Wikipedia and it's, like, the reviews. It's just, like, 22% on Rotten Tomatoes and it was a bomb at the box office. Do you think that is... Uh, deserved undeserved if i'm writing a review of this movie for you know rogerdeber.com or whatever like am i gonna give it more than like two and a half stars like no i don't know that like i objectively could um but like if i'm rating it on a scale of like zero to 100 like 22 is low and again it's the thing where it's like like I said, a movie that I would have no problem watching, but again, not one I'm not going to convince convince somebody is necessarily good. It is interesting though to how much of like a disaster it was kind of considered. Like the the director was very upset with the way this came out. He hated working with Sylvester Stallone. It sounds like it was not a very like cohesive shoot, and it really like it was not a good experience for most of these people. It sounds like. I guess, you know, the thing is that it's like when there's this much money involved, it can definitely be a really hectic experience. And, you know, Sylvester Stallone was not, I don't know if he was exactly at what you would call like the peak of his fame, but he was definitely still, you know, like a big draw. Mm -hmm. Like he's definitely like more so than today. Like we basically have like none of the star power that they had in the 80s coming into the 90s. He's a big draw. So obviously that can lead to a lot of uh, fractious tension. You know, when you have a star that big, he can kind of wag the director around. And obviously that shows through in the the whole, he has to take the helmet off mm-hmm. immediately. But yeah, it makes me upset when I, when I look and I see like people like slam this movie. Because it just makes me think it's like, do these people not know what's coming? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing too, is that I feel like, I mean, this is true just, like, generally. I feel like back in the day, critics certainly were more willing to give out bad reviews to movies like this. Whereas I feel like if you look at the reviews for, like, most... Certainly Marvel movies that come out, like, the reception... Like, even if it's a bad one, they're just like, yeah, this is, like, okay. Like, to me, like, Thor Love and Thunder, like, that is a bad movie that should get a bad review. And 
it did okay on Rotten Tomatoes, right? And I, if I had the choice between watching that and Judge Dredd, I'm going to watch Judge Dredd like nine times out of ten. It's 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 like I said. I do. I, is, would I call it a good movie? No, but it's like it's it's entertaining and like yeah. Thor: Love and Thunder has a sixty four percent Rotten Tomatoes. That is way too high in my opinion. Yeah, it's yeah. It's, it's just like the unfairness of everything. Mm-hmm. Like Judge Dredd actually feels like you know like a movie. Yeah. In the sense that it fe- I can like imagine watching it on like TNT or whatever on a lazy Saturday, mm-hmm. you know, with with popcorn and stuff, and you just you turn it on. It's like oh check this out. Or it's like, I can't imagine doing that with Thor Love and Thunder. No, not at all. So yeah, I, I really liked it. It sounds like you're a bit more mixed on it. Yeah, I don't know. It's just a thing where it's like, again, like I liked watching it, but I don't necessarily think it's good. So, you know, I like watching the movie Van Helsing too, but I don't necessarily think that's good. I put it in like the Van Helsing zone, I guess. That's <laughs> <laughs> what we should have called this podcast, the Van Helsing zone. <laughs> the Van Helsing zone. But it, it's better than, like, comparing it to, like, Daredevil. Like, I this is definitely, like, solidly better than Daredevil, right? Yeah, I would say this was the most enjoyable of the, the entries we've watched so yeah. far for this yeah. series. Mm-hmm. Which is good, you know? We want to find movies that are, like, undiscovered gems. Because that's, that's what gives us cachet and feels like we're not wasting our lives. <laughs> just watching terrible movies over and over again. So should we, should we talk about the story, the setting... Like this movie, how would you compare like the tone and feel of the plot compared to the 2012 Dread? Yeah, well, I would say it's been a while since I watched the 2012 Dread, but generally I think you know the 2012 Dread, it's 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 very much all focused in like this one tower, right, where they kind of have to fight their way up. This is a lot feels a lot more expansive. You feel like you know, but it's it's more expansive. You get a bigger sense of the city itself. And the world in general, the the cursed world, I believe they call it, or cursed earth. But you still feel like everybody's on top of each other. It still feels kind of calamitous and and unstable. And and I, I enjoyed that. Like I said, I think it's a, it's a really well rendered world. I it reminded me a lot of like Blade Runner actually. And I actually wouldn't be surprised, like not just the original Blade Runner, but I wouldn't be surprised if like the production designers like borrowed some ideas for like Blade Runner twenty forty nine, especially for like the the cursed earth sections. So I, I enjoy that aspect of it. <laughs> well, it's funny that you brought up a uh, Blade Runner because mm-hmm. I, I thought a similar thing, but it it's kind of in a negative way because this is like ten plus years after Blade Runner, <laughs> right. and I think the special effects were executed in a much better way in Blade Runner. Where Blade Runner, it's like you can just watch it, and it feels like I was saying like Judge Dredd feels like an artificial world. Blade Runner, it just like sort of blends in, mm-hmm. you know, where you don't even think about it. But here, I was kind of taken out, and as sort of Brechtian in the way that the artificiality and the theatricality of everything like if uh, the thing that I would compare it to more would be um (laughs) the setting of Dino Hatton in the Super Mario Brothers movie (laughs) okay (laughs) have you seen that movie Mike uh I have not oh gosh um we'll probably have to do that then (laughs) yeah it felt a lot like that where it felt like a uh you know like a city but it felt like a city constructed inside of a soundstage. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. That's def- I mean, yeah, it definitely does feel like that. To me, the the way you can compare the opening of uh, both of the Dread movies is like Dread 2012. It's just like Dread narrating uh, to the audience about like life in Mega City 1, last surviving remnants of the Cursed Earth. Whereas this movie, do you remember it opens with a text crawl yes. <laughs> narrated by James Earl Jones himself? <laughs> And it feels like this big epic thing, which is, 
you know, it's cool. Mm -hmm. I like that. I feel like a lot of movies now, like, they're kind of afraid to start with, like, a text crawl. Because mm -hmm. it is kind of a way to, like, let in the movie right off the bat. Yeah. But this movie, they, like, keep it short. They, like, keep the paragraph short and basically get right to the point. And then James Earl Jones is done. He got his paycheck, and he's like, I'm out of here, guys. Yeah. What, what I liked about the opening crawl is, like, you know, describing who the judges are, and it's like, the judges act as, and they can't say judge, jury, and executioner because they've already used the word judge. <laughs> so they have to come up with, like, some other variation of that phrase, and I don't remember it off the top of my head, but I, I found that kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they don't want to repeat the word judge, Mike. What's... What are you going to do? It reminds me of how, uh, for the original cut of Star Wars, the text crawl was like five paragraphs long. <laughs> and then he was, George Lucas was showing it to like Steven Spielberg and Brian De Palma. And Brian De Palma like got up and it's like, this is too long. And it's like Brian De Palma <laughs> had to like help him fix it to like get it down to what it was. It's just funny. Yeah. Realizing that Star Wars would be uh, much more successful than anything Brian De Palma ever did. <laughs> also just funny to think of like, I mean, I know they hung out, but like Brian De Palma, like the sleazy you know, bloody, like, kind of movies he made, just hanging out with George Lucas, who's like, I just want to make the sci-fi movies I liked as a kid. Like, it's just, like, it's such a weird contrast. <laughs> yeah, so we get the, the big epic text crawl, and then we're sort of introduced to, like, an opening set piece where, like, Judge Dredd shows up and helps save the day. I like a lot of this. I really like the way the costume is designed. Uh, designed by Gianni Versace. Oh. I don't know if you caught... That was in the opening credits where it's, like, costumes by somebody and then says Judge Dredd outfit by gianni versace i did not catch that that's and, interesting uh, you know i like the way the outfit is it's obviously like in the 2012 version they would make they basically like take the outfit and it's like let's realize uh like let's uh make this look more like something an actual like police officer might wear so there's like some elements like you have the big badge in the 2012 version that says dread like that's from the comics mm -hmm. but like you you're missing out on like judge dread has like the giant golden eagle shoulder pad yeah which is in this, which I like. Um, I like, you know, I like the outfit in this 95 version. It's closer to the comics, I would say, than the 2012 version. The helmet is a bit interesting. It looks, like, too shiny. Mm -hmm. Like, it's like, well, Judge Dredd is supposed to be, like, a legend in his own time. So I guess he can get his helmet cleaned and polished whenever he wants. But <laughs> shouldn't it look a little bit uh, worn? But yeah, it's cool. And it's like, I liked, you know, the opening, big, exciting... Well, I don't know if big, but it's an exciting opening action set piece no no i i, I would agree it is pretty effective it, it's weird though like isn't it kind of weird how it's like mega city one it's supposed to be you know we're in this like post-apocalyptic version of north america and i feel like the music is like way too triumphant when they're like showing you mega city one there's something a little too kind of like upbeat about it but maybe that was just me i mean it, like the world is post-apocalyptic but it's basically like society is fine within mm -hmm. the walls of the mega city. I mean, obviously there is like a tonal mishmash of like, are you rooting for like the judges system or not? But it is like judges should be like in their own minds. They think they're triumphant and obviously they're not going to release a big budget movie in 1995 for general audiences where it's like judge dread is the bad guy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's in uh, his own movie. <laughs> not how it's going to work. It's funny because it did feel almost in some ways and maybe just because it also reminded me of RoboCop a little bit. Like, it felt like a Paul Verhoeven movie, but, like, played much straighter. This is something that happens in the uh, Future Shock documentary I was alluding to before, that everyone at 2000 AD was upset when uh, RoboCop came out. Because they were like, Paul Verhoeven just ripped off Judge Dredd. <laughs> right, yeah. Because RoboCop's like, stop, creep. And that's, mm -hmm. like, something that Judge Dredd says a lot. It's like, 
hey, stop it, creep. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's just, it's unfortunate the way these things come and go in pop culture, where a lot of people might think that the shadow is ripping off Batman when it's actually the reverse. Mm. But I, I really like the music for this movie, actually. I like re- noted that a couple times in my head when I was watching it. Like The score really felt like... This is like a memorable musical score. And did you look in the credits, like at the like soundtrack, similarly to our Daredevil, like the soundtrack for this movie? I Well, the credits plays, and I was like, is that The Cure? And it turns out it was, in fact, The Cure. They recorded a song called Dread Song for this movie, which is such a weird pairing of artists and movie. I mean, like The Cure, who did Just Like Heaven and Friday I'm In Love, and also this other like very sad goth music making a music for an action movie it's just a very odd fit (laughs) well it's like that's something that felt very 90s to me about how like it's a big studio so it's like a studio that also owns like a record label or something Mm -hmm. so it's like we got to get a hit song and put it on this movie or whatever we got to make a music video where we have the cure dressed up in the judge outfits and intercut it with clips from the movie right, yeah. of judge I, I was just saying that might have happened i don't know if it actually did i would i wouldn't be shocked if that happened mm-hmm. but like it's also like how batman forever had the that's where like the seal song comes yeah. from kiss from a rose yeah kiss from a rose and there's a scene of the deleted scene of uh, bruce wayne dancing with a giant bat <laughs> while i did not know that plays. Anyways, it feels very 90s. It's just like, you know, big triumphant ending. You judge Dredd looking over Mega City 1 and then boom, cut right into the Cure song. And it feels like, well, this this doesn't connect. Yeah. And it's funny because I'm looking at, there There was like a full soundtrack album that was released, which included both Alan Silvestri's score and songs from, as we mentioned, The Cure, Manic Street Peachers, The The, White Zombie, Cocteau Twins, and Left Field. And it's interesting because all of those bands, with the exception of White Zombie, are British. And I do, and also Cocteau Twins, a very another weird band to have in a thing like this. And I, I wonder if like maybe Judge Dredd was like popular enough among like the kinds of people who were in like alt rock bands in the UK at the time that they're like Judge Dredd. Oh yeah, hell, we love to. Or if it was just, like another kind of you know, just business decision. Like, I wonder if there was actually, like, genuine popularity among that community for the character. Oh, I'm sure there was, because Judge Dredd is very popular in, like, the punk community. This is something else that's addressed in the documentary. Obviously, the 80s in Britain had, like, you know, Margaret Thatcher. The punk movement was very strong. And there's an interview with the lead singer of uh, Anthrax, Hmm. which I believe is, like, an American punk band. Thrash metal. Yeah, yeah. And he's, like, he's, like, a big fan of Judge Dredd. It's like, I like Judge Dredd because he's so punk that he would kill all of the punks. <laughs> and it's like, can't argue with that. Yeah. But uh, I, I was watch I watched all the credits and I, I noticed like all those songs and artists appear in the credits. And I was like, I wonder if Mike has any thoughts. Because I don't think they played songs during the movie, but I'm sure there was a soundtrack album like White Snake. And like, what, what did you think overall? Just like very punky. Well, I, punk's not really the word. Like, post-punk is really what it is, right? It, this isn't, like, you know, three chords. I guess it is 1995. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, like, but post-punk is, like, a specific genre of music. So, yeah, kind of a little more ethereal than your your average punk song. Like I say, Cocteau Twins, they create, like, very, like, atmospheric music. You know, they're really dream pop in a way, so... It's an it's an odd mix, but I mean, like these are good artists. I mean, White Zombie is like they are a band that was literally created because every you know they were kind of like the latter day misfits as far as their aesthetic goes, even though they played pretty different music. Like White Zombie is Rob Zombie's band, 
and it makes sense that Rob Zombie would like this movie. Interesting bunch, but like I said, I, I'm sure the, the the British, the British connection is probably explains it. Yeah, would you would you call this movie a post punk movie though? Yeah, I think you could. I mean, like there there's always been kind of like a futuristic bent to post punk, and you know the idea of this sort of like quasi fascist government sort of clamping down on people like that's an Im- imagery that's kind of used you know post-punk especially in the uk at the time was i think in a lot of ways people considered a reaction to the conservative ascendancy so yeah i, I would say that it fits to me I, I maybe i guess like the themes might be but to me it felt like had a very traditional veneer well yeah on I, top of it I, I guess maybe i was thinking about it too much there yeah if you're just taking it like as as a, as a visual work, then no, I think it's just kind of like a straight up blockbuster. It doesn't really feel alternative at all. It feels like they're trying to fit this more provocative story into a more traditional mold, I guess. I'll just ask you point blank. What did you not like about this movie? Well, I talked about Rob Schneider already. Like I said, just, just jokes did not work for me. The thing that I think is most damning about Rob Schneider is that like he's just with Judge Dredd the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And there's no like conclusion for his character. Yes. He's just like, he's been shot and he's just like on the steps and it's like, that's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's nothing for his character. <laughs> so yeah, I agree with you there. Yeah. And so like, so what really kind of just like was difficult for me just cause, and like, like I, I watched this movie kind of late at night on not a lot of sleep. So maybe this played a role in it, but it's like, I didn't really understand what Judge Griffin was trying to do was he just trying to cover up janice project and then how does he get connected with rico like that it felt like there was some connective tissue missing there for me just about like the plot in general that i really did not get yeah so like this movie is like a mishmash of a lot of like judge dread storylines that um i don't know if it all 100 percent meshed together super well but like so like you have the character of rico who, like in the comics, is like the clone brother of mm-hmm. Judge Dredd, who is also a clone. Rico is, well, infamously, now that this movie has existed for 25 years, Rico was killed by Dredd in his first appearance. Or actually, yeah, Rico was killed by Dredd in his first appearance. Has appeared, but never as like a living character. Mm. So, boom, Hollywood screenwriter's like, I know, I'll have him be the main antagonist <laughs> right, of the movie. Yeah. So, yeah, obviously he's been engaged with judge griffin to enact some sort of plot against the judges judge council and the judges to like sort of take over basically subsume the society in order to like clamp down crime i would suppose or i guess is rico rico likes crime well that's the thing yeah he's it's like they're like well it's implied that like judge dread is the best part of all of the other judges, right? Like, that's how he's built. Like, they build them from the DNA of the justices or whatever. And then Rico's, like, the degenerative part or, like, the worst part. So he just kind of, like, loves crime. And, like, I think part of it is he wants to lash back out against the system because, you know, they created him. And then he... Well, he's the guy that, that Judge Dredd judged, right? That, like, haunts him. Yeah, that's what they, they say. Mm-hmm. It's always interesting to me in fiction when they always like his brain is rewired so he likes crime. Like, what does that mean? Right. Like, you steal a loaf of bread to feed your family, <laughs> not because 
you like enjoy stealing bread you know mm-hmm. like what does that mean like i mean like i guess you can enjoy killing people if you're a sociopath but like do you enjoy committing tax fraud right <laughs> really get off on jaywalking yeah it's always it's always interesting to me like crime is like some sort of like there's a component in our brains about like crime that mm-hmm. is like flipped the switch is flipped to don't commit crime <laughs> right, but yeah. rico his switch is commit crime <laughs> It's just an interesting uh, idea. And obviously, if this were like a real, you know, a- academic text, it'd be like, this is hogwash. Right, yeah, yeah. But it's just an action-adventure movie, so I can let it slide. And then, so, his plan is to, he frames Judge Dredd by dressing up in, Rico frames Judge Dredd by dressing up in his outfit, committing a murder. There's a trial scene where Hershey defends Dredd, and then Dredd is ultimately found guilty, not because of the video evidence, but because of... The DNA evidence, like, on the gun. Yeah, the DNA evidence on the bullet. Mm -hmm. Because, obviously, Dredd and Rico would have the same DNA, because they're both the clones of Judge Fargo, and then Judge Fargo saves Dredd by going on the long walk, but then the council is like, we'll send Judge Dredd to life imprisonment in the Aspen penal colony. Yes. And then Judge Dredd's plane gets shot down. He has a run-in with the Angel family, who are characters from the comics. Mean Machine Angel, most notably, who has, like, the dial on his head with the one, two, three, four. And he's like, when he gets really angry, he's like, don't make me go to four. (laughs) And he switches it, and that, like, makes him stronger. Mm -hmm. So, like, they have a cool confrontation. So it's nice that they showed up. That was probably my favorite part of the movie. Yeah, it's nice when, you know, when you design an action-adventure film, you want to have, like, lots of interesting set pieces. So... It's good that that was there. I wish there there should have probably been more, right? Because then it's like, there's like the beginning. There's all the stuff with the plot. There's the angel stuff after the long walk. And then there's like the end of the movie. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I feel like this movie would probably be maybe a little more interesting if they spent time like in the Cursed Earth. Like Also because, um, what's his name? Uh, Chief Justice Fargo, like he just shows up. Like I feel like his death is very unceremonious. He, he, he walked all the way from Mega City 1 which is like, I mean, it varies, but it's basically like New York City. Mm-hmm. And he walked all the way to somewhere between there and Aspen. Right, yeah. He must be tired. Yeah, he's got to be. But like he, he died, he just kind of, he shows up to like the Angel family's lair. He, I think, shoots somebody, but then he himself gets gets stabbed by Mean Machine. And I feel like that's like a very unceremonious death for like a character that's implied to be so important. Didn't, it's like when he's explaining like the backstory of, dread in the janice project isn't there like lightning that sounds right very dramatic yes well i also loved how hershey just learns about the janice project which is she brings like this family photo that she finds in judge dread's locker to one of the cadets who they say is like a visual like data expert or something and they're just analyzing the picture and it's, or he's analyzing the picture. He's like, why are you looking at the picture? I want you to look at something else. And then he's like, I can tell that all these, these, these images are fake except the baby. And then it kind of just like strips away the mother and the father. Yeah. He takes, he pushes like the transparent icon on the Photoshop filters yeah. and it realizes that the baby was on a table in a laboratory. Yes. That was very 90s. Yes. And it's interesting how the whole film is basically about how Dredd and Rico being clones is like a twist. Mm-hmm. When in the comics, it's basically just, it's introduced early on, and it's not like a twist that it's like, they are the clones of Chief Justice Fargo. Dredd is like a clone specimen. So I can see someone who's like a deep 
hearted fan in like 1995 being like why is the film wasting time right on this thing that's like not a twist but general audiences didn't know i guess so so then dread and fergie have to like launch a big assault back into mega city one it would have been interesting if it was more like the dark knight rises wouldn't it if you like if it was like rico had actually like sort of taken over and like dread was actually like leading a rebellion right don't you think that would have been more interesting it would have been yeah they kind of like they yada yada it a little bit it's like there's some civil unrest that rico kind of sparks and at least a lot of judges getting killed we don't see a lot of that you see some of it but not a lot of it so you don't really get the big sense of this crisis outside of like hershey and a few other characters being in immediate danger we get to like the exciting ending where they confront rico in the Janus Project headquarters, which shockingly is hidden underneath the Statue of Liberty. Yes. <laughs> and there's a big fight, and it's it, the film gets really exciting at a certain point when it's like, release the clones now. Mm-hmm. Send in the clones. And it's like they introduce all these like clone, like half-formed clone zombie skeleton men. Mm-hmm. But then they like disappear like immediately, right? Yeah, I was... Yeah, so they're the clones that like, as these judges are dying... I believe it's Griffin who suggests, like, you know, we should, like, revive Janus and see how fast it can take to build these clones. And it's, like, the computer system, which is, like, another very 90s thing where it's, like, computer, tell me, blah, 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 blah. And the computer tells you what you want to know. It's, like, well, we can build, like, however many clones in eight hours. And he's, like, great, we should just do that. And they're, like, no, they're all going to come out, like, malformed and and messed up like Rico. But they show up and kind of go away. And they look kind of cool, I thought. But I was reading, apparently... This is surprising to me is that they had to make a lot of cuts to this movie so that it wasn't NC-17. Oh, jeez. And it sounds like Dread killing the clones and fighting them was one of the things they had to cut. Apparently, there are, like, promo shots of him shooting the clones, um, but they did not make it into the final cut of the movie. And, like, you were supposed to also see... Rico gets his hand on that, they call it like the ABC robot, right? And the he, ABC warrior. ABC warrior. And he tells them to like, he tells, he keeps telling it to like rip, like rip people's arms and legs off first. <laughs> and you were supposed to like actually see that happen. Oh. Um, but. We do get a reaction shot of blood yes. on the floor when he, he tells the ABC warrior to do that to Justice Griffin. And That's surprising. I didn't realize this movie was that hardcore <laughs> i know neither did i and they they try to get down to r and i actually think at some point like they also tried to get it down to a pg-13 at some point but they weren't able to do that so this is an r it it is rated r okay yes but it feel don't you think this feels like very pg-13 compared to like today yeah compared to d- today it definitely does but i feel like back in the day like mere gun violence like, there was, there was a higher or a lower threshold for getting an R rating on gun violence. Like, I remember when Batman Begins came out, part of the controversy was that, like, there was, like, they consider that, to, some people consider that to be, like, R-rated violence. Which, if you watch it now, you're like, this is nothing compared to name your R-rated movie of choice. Dark Knight comes out, Joker stabs a guy <laughs> exactly, with a pencil. right. And yeah. no one batted an eye. Yeah. Because there was a pencil in it. It just, it just shows you how coarse our society has become. Yeah, that is that is super interesting, NC-17. Well, I would be remiss if I did not mention that the ABC Warriors are actually from a different 2000 AD comic, the Robusters and the ABC Warriors, so it's interesting that they're in this movie. I really like the way the robot looks. I feel like it's the kind of special effect that you don't see anymore. 
Like we were just talking about, I didn't I haven't watched the special yet, but this is this similar to like Man Thing in the Werewolf by Night special, where it's like this big practical effect. When I watched Man Thing in Werewolf by Night, he didn't look practical effect to me. He looked pretty CGI, or at least he did in the black and white sequences. He looks better in the color sequences. So to answer your question, no, I don't think so. But like I like it's like this big practical effect, right? That yeah. looks pretty good. Yeah. That we unfortunately don't get anymore. Taika Waititi's not dressing up in a Korg outfit to no. play Korg. And long gone are the days where Michael Chiklis would actually put on a suit to play the ever-loving blue-eyed thing. The thing is probably just going to be some CGI crap now. <laughs> yeah. Although considering, you know, how dehydrated that allegedly made Michael Chiklis, may- maybe that's for the best. <laughs> no. It's called suffering for art. That's true. Like Alan Cumming did in X2 as Nightcrawler, and that was literally the reason he's not in x-men the last saying because he like refused to come back because it required hours of makeup every day god you can even like there's a there's like a dvd special where like it shows him applying the makeup and at the end of the the feature he's like i'm literally never doing this again and somebody's like don't you have a contract he's like yeah i'm not doing this again like he's clearly very unhappy about it yeah and that was allegedly similar to the situation hugo weaving was in portraying the ever-loving red-eyed red skull no (laughs) which is why he he hasn't come back yeah. Although he was under contract, so like if Marvel asked, he would do it. But I guess they were kind enough to like let him off the hook and let Ross Marquand do it in a the post writer's favorite film, uh, Infinity War. <laughs> yeah. So then we have this big confrontation where it's Rico versus Dread and the crown of the Statue of Liberty. It's pretty good, I guess. Nothing really too surprising there, I would say. Yeah, we we get a lot of like judge puns. Oh yeah, yeah. Judge Dread has like lots of there's lots of like one liners that don't really work and like he he's catchphrase in this root movie is like i knew you'd say that yes yeah which is not a catchphrase from the comics i didn't think it was we also get hershey fights hayden oh yeah i wanted to bring that up too yeah and then hayden goes bitch and she goes judge bitch (laughs) it's like you it was a requirement from for that 10 year period of movies from like judge dread to like die another day Mm-hmm. you need a character you need you need to have a female side character and there needs to be a female villain side character and they need to fight and at some point they're gonna call each other bitch yeah when they're fighting and it's just it's so funny it is it's like literally the same in so many movies I, I this got... is what we're missing <laughs> i guess that was third wave feminism there's lots of judge puns What's the, like, last pun he says to Rico? He says something, like, right before he throws him off the ledge, but I can't quite remember what it is. So he kills Rico, and right before he, like, throws him off, he says, Court's adjourned. Yes, I thought it was something like that, or, like, jury's out. Yeah. (laughs) It's just, like, they probably, like, wrote a list of, like, here's 20 uh, judge-slash-court-related things Mm -hmm. we can put in, and they just threw it in there, and they were like, let's not rewrite it at any point. (laughs) Doesn't really fit 100 percent but uh, i liked uh when they show the reaction shot of like rico falling <laughs> no yeah. it's like yes horrible horrible i guess pg friendly death though where he, he falls um to his death on the uh concrete floor of mega city one um yeah he just kind of disappears into the into the smoke and the dust yeah it's like uh when hans gruber falls to his death but it's like more pathetic because it's like his his face is turned away mm-hmm. and he's like further away from the camera so it's like ah! this looks like a random guy yeah who got thrown off of the statue of liberty could have been anybody could have been you could have been me could have been anybody as mark ruffalo said in spotlight <laughs> and uh, then we get our big triumphant ending where um everything is happy Judge Dredd is a judge again. He's mm-hmm. getting his armor back. 
they're like, Judge Dredd, you should be the chief judge. It's like, no, I'm a street judge. And then Hershey says something like, like, I knew it'd be great for you to have a friend. And he's like, I knew you'd say that. And he drives off into the sunset. Well, and they kiss before he does that. Yes, they kiss. Very controversial, I guess, because Judge Dredd, famously in the comics, doesn't need any, doesn't need no romance. <laughs> That's the end of the movie. The I feel like I should mention, so the two things that did like actually make me laugh like out loud when I was watching this. Mm-hmm. So the first is the... Uh, it's at the beginning when Fergie's like running through like the tower complex and there's the recycled food like bot and it goes recycled food good for the environment okay for you. It's like <laughs> what do you mean okay for me, <laughs> right? I was like good for the environment. What do you mean it's just okay for me? And then also when they like find the guy, they respond to like a DUI basically, but it's just this guy like kind of ramming his car into like a car in front of him while he's trying to like get out of a parallel parking spot. And he comes out and they're like, ah, oh, you have all these past violations, blah, blah, blah. And then, then the punishment for his DOI is Judge Dredd just blows up his car. <laughs> like that to me is just like the, the, the perfect sort of like law enforcement satire where it's like, oh, drunk driving. We're just going to blow up your car now. Um, it was just like a, a, uh, a perfect overreaction. I knew you'd say that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's the movie. Overall, I'd say, you know, I enjoyed it. One and a half thumbs up from me. Sure, I, I would say def- definitely definitely watch it. You're, you're going to get something out of it either way. Yeah, and if you're, if you're someone like me who's read the first 10 years of Judge Dredd, and, um, you know, you've seen, like, you know that this movie is, like, reviled, and, like, the people at 2000 AD really don't like it that much either. To me, it's like... Oh, it's pretty good. I mean, it's not like, obviously, like, they changed some things from to make it on the big screen, but nothing is like, I guess, like, I, I just understand too much of, like, the rules of, like, oh, this has to be a movie. So, like, I can, like, look past Sylvester Stallone taking off his helmet. I can look past, like, one kiss between him and Judge Hershey at the end. Yeah, so there's, like, a lot of things that, like, you can look through. It's not like, I don't know if there's any movie where it's, like, this was, like, a perfect adaptation of from the comic to the screen but i would say hey you know this film gets a lot right and there's a lot more fan service i would say from the comics to this than there is from the comics to the 2012 judge dread which is a film i still really like and enjoy and it's definitely better than this 1995 movie but if you're interested i would say hey watch the 95 dread it's a lot of fun you might not get a whole lot out of it intellectually but it's enjoyable, especially if you're with friends, probably. Yeah. What what you said about you, like, understanding, like, the changes they have to make to make it a movie, and so you're kind of okay with those changes a little bit more, is, like, I do wonder, as we sort of, you know, watch these movies decades after the release, like, how much, like, our expectation, knowing that this is a movie that's not necessarily held in high regard, like, plays into it. Because it's, like, I'm sure I can imagine, like, a really big Judge Dredd fan who hears, oh, man, they're making a Judge Dredd movie, and, you know, this is, like, 1995, where your kind of options for content are more limited than they are now, and then you're really stoked for this movie, and it comes out, and you watch it, and it's this, and you're just, like, super disappointed, and you, like, you know, develop a blood feud of Sylvester Stallone because of it. Like, I, I, I feel like that probably plays, like, a big role in how people uh, sort of judge things like this. But, again, it's like what, what I said before. It's like, people in the 90s didn't realize how good they had it. Yes. They were just sitting around in their Hawaiian shirts, you know, <laughs> lounging around, you know, getting into biodomes, going to the arcade, <laughs> you know, watching the O.J. Simpson trial, all this stuff, watching Cartoon Network or whatever. 
and it's like they didn't realize how good they had it and it's like 10 years later they'll probably be like man i wish judge dread was coming out <laughs> yeah that, um that's a good point yeah so you know that's my take on it so i would say this movie is slightly unfairly maligned and uh, I'm, I'm glad we watched it for this. I agree. Yeah, this is a movie that has a how did this get made episode. And it's like, well, I know how this movie got made. Like, <laughs> you know, it's 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 I don't think like I said, is is it great? No. But is it that bad? No, certainly not. And definitely, definitely watchable. Yeah. So check it out um, and check out all the other content on the postwriter.com. Right, Mike? Yeah. Uh, check it out. Check us out. We have lots of written work there. Other podcasts there as well. You can find this anywhere you can find your podcast. Please like, rate, and subscribe. Send us an email at contactthepostwriter.com. Let us know what you do or do not like about the show or us, I guess, if you really want to get personal about it. Uh, follow me on Twitter at mlevito and follow me on Letterboxd at Ameramite. Yeah, follow me on Twitter as well at, at the Lewis Ryan. Let me know your Judge Dredd hot takes. I will, I will read them and I will laugh and I yes. will judge them. I was going to say, you will be judged. The, the verdict may be death, but of course, we can't really do anything about that at this juncture. So yeah, I, I think that's all we got. And uh, this has been another great episode of Fortress of Ineptitude. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. It is bracket season. And to celebrate, the Post Rider is a brand new podcast that'll do for political junkies what the NCAA tournament does for sports fans. That's right, everyone. It's called Floor Fight, and each season we'll be creating a bracket that pits political figures and topics against each other until we end up with an ultimate winner. It's like a contested convention if a contested convention was held between two guys in a Google Hangout with too much time on their hands. For our first season, we seeded 72 losing presidential candidates for a tournament of the also-ran so we can finally answer the question, who was the greatest president we never had? It's the perfect show for anyone who ever wondered what would happen if Dewey really did defeat Truman, or if Palm Beach County didn't use a butterfly ballot in 2000. And the best part is you can check out the seeds and prepare for the planes now at thepostwriter.com slash floorfight. See every candidate, who they'll match off against the plane in first rounds, and let us know on Twitter, at thepostwriter, who you think should win. And if those references to Dewey and Truman and Palm Beach County meant anything to you, then subscribe to Floor Fight. It's available everywhere you can find podcasts and, of course, on thepostwriter.com.